This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sharon Woods, the Director of the Hosting and Compute Center at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Sharon, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. There is plenty going on at DISA. There always is, and we always appreciate talking to you all. And it's been just about six months, seven months now, I guess, maybe pushing eight months of when since uh, DISA and, and DOD at large created the Hosting and Compute Center, known as The Hack. Let's just start there to discuss your progress over the last you know, five-plus months and, and bringing commercial cloud on-premise data center offerings under this kind of one management structure. We've been pretty busy. One of the first things that we did when the hack was formed uh, in October, it really gave us a chance to take a step back and say, okay, now we have the traditional data centers. We have commercial cloud. There were two different commercial cloud offices, one in DISA. There was the cloud computing program office that was separate. And by putting it all together on one umbrella, it gave us this unique strategic opportunity to say, hey, from data center to on-prem cloud to commercial cloud, how do you weave and mesh these things together so you're delivering against the mission? So we've taken a look at everything that we've done. I mean, one, I think it's important to express the strategic intent. So very recently, we released the hack action plan because within DISA, there's the broader strategic plan that General Skinner released, and he has his five lines of effort. So what the hack did was decompose that specific to our mission and say, okay, we have 10 strategic objectives that are nested within those lines of effort. But we didn't wait to act uh, since, since when we actually released the action plan. So we've made some strategic pivots about on-prem cloud. We've been working really hard to keep moving out and getting the JWCC awards in place. We've started some different pilots where they really are hybrid capabilities that are taking kind of cloud capabilities, more modern capabilities, and putting those together with traditional data centers so that folks that are in the data centers can still take advantage of some of the modern technology, even if their application you know, workload still needs to be in that data center environment. Uh, and we've also taken a look uh, at the workforce. If we have these hybrid technologies, we're putting things together holistically, we need a holistic workforce to do that as well. So like I said, it's it's been a busy six-ish months, uh, and we're really pl- proud about the uh, action plan too because I, I think it really lays out what we're going to be doing for the next two fiscal years. All right. You mentioned a couple of interesting things there. JWCC is one of them. You mentioned also some of the pilots. I'm sure we'll get to all of that as part of our conversation. But let me just take a half a step back. And just in case if folks haven't seen those 10 objectives, maybe just at a very high level, go through each of them quickly, just so, and and then I'm sure they can find that uh, action plan on your website. Yeah, so we do have the website hackhacc.mil. So certainly if you want to download it or you can just natively look at it on the website, uh, the the strategic objectives, and, and maybe I won't go through and itemize every single one of them, but Um, The corpus of them are actually within the innovation line of effort, uh, which in my mind makes a lot of sense because the hack is doing things that has never been done before. If you look around the federal government, no one has ever said, you know what, we have to have data centers, we have to have on-prem cloud, we have to have commercial cloud, and not only that, These things need to work on a global basis and they need to be meshed together as a fabric. So one of our key strategic objectives is all around Oconus Cloud. Uh, there's there's JWCC, the Joint Warfighting Cloud capability. There's 
you know, certainly Oconus cloud, especially since that is a warfighting cloud capability, Oconus is crucial because that is where the Department of Defense operates. That's where our mission exists. But it's not the only one when we look at our on-prem cloud capabilities and really wanting that redundancy, taking a look at, hey, does it make sense to to do on-prem cloud Oconus? That's also one of the key, I would say, elements to the Oconus cloud objective. Another of the objectives, and there's a few of these, are all around really automation and and enablers and accelerators to not just having cloud, but using cloud. Um, So containers as a service, folks may be familiar with Kubernetes, um, that technology. Another one is infrastructure as code. So all about quick, rapid deployment of secure cloud environments. And so we have a series of objectives around that because it's not enough to just deliver JWCC, to deliver Stratus, our on-prem cloud capability. We really need to give our mission partners, our customers, the ability to quickly use those capabilities or we're really no better off than we were before. And then one of the the 10th strategic objective, and this goes to what I was saying before, is identifying a senior training champion and really taking a look at what training do we have now and what are the gaps? Because we're, we're doing something that hasn't been done before at the scale that we're talking about at all classification levels on a global basis we need a workforce that can support that mission and that vision. And I think we have a lot of great assets and resources to start with, but we do need to look at where those gaps are and start filling them. You bring up Oconus. I was at a recent event where I think uh, maybe an Army IT day from FCA, one of those events where they talked about doing a pilot with Oconus Cloud, potentially in um, Guam, Hawaii, I guess, Indo-Pacific region. Are you all part of that? Are you working with Army or is this Oconus Cloud effort kind of separate but equal? Yeah, so that's a really good question and one that I always like to answer because there are a number of enterprise cloud offices within each of the military services. So Cloud One out of the Air Force, then you have the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency, ECMA within the Army. They are close uh, partners of ours. So we're not operating in parallel and not talking. We collaborate quite closely with them. And so we're familiar with the pilot. We've been talking with them about it. I don't know that we're necessarily you know, involved boots on the ground, so to speak, but we've also been looking at, hey, where does it make sense to do an OCONUS pilot? I would say right now from a DISA perspective, because we are responsible for the Doden, the global transport for the entire department, because I, you know, we have the HackHaz data centers, we have two of them in Germany, for instance, uh, and then we need to look at what does commercial cloud look like and the cloud access points and the security around that. Right now, and, and you see this laid out in the strategic objectives, we're kind of taking stock of what do we have and, and where does it make sense to have that first micro success uh, that first agile iteration so that we're, we're getting something and seeing some delivery within six months. So I think we're still at a place where we're taking stock of it, but not very long. We're not a center to sit and wait very long. So I think that that'll be happening pretty quickly. All right. So I guess something to, to more or less follow up with you and maybe later this summer, early fall timeframe, maybe you'll have a better plan laid out of, of where that pilot potentially could take place. Absolutely. That would be a great timeframe. All right, I know there's a lot of interest in Oconus Cloud and where is it going, so so uh, good to hear that. The other part of this that, that I think is important is JWCC. I know you mentioned it. Uh, I know it's a very sensitive time around JWCC. Is there anything you can tell us about it in terms of 
what how are you planning for it how it kind of fits into this bigger discussion Sure. So JWCC is explicitly called out in the strategic objectives, right? Because it is delivering all classification levels. It's delivering at the tactical edge in denied and degraded intermittent latent environments, right? Where the military operates. And there is no vehicle within the Department of Defense or vehicles that delivers the totality of those capabilities at scale. So JWCC is critical uh, to a number of the strategic objectives in order for the hack to be successful and deliver that meshed global fabric of unified hosting and compute. So, so really JWCC is going after those unmet capability gaps around all classification levels, around tactical edge. And so that's, that's really what I think is driving the attention and the desire to move as quickly as we can, but we need to make sure we get it right. And that's where you saw the recent announcement of the award being projected for December. Yes, that's a little later than what we had hoped for, but we are going to have these contracts and they're fundamental and critical to the mission. So we need to make sure it gets done right the first time uh, and not be trying to fix something afterwards. Again, I go back to, I know there's procurement sensitivities. Is there anything uh, around the delay that could impact you at DISA? Or it's, it's one of those things, you know what's happening, eventually will happen, and, and you'll be prepared for it, but it, you still need to do what you're going to do anyway. Is, is, is there any kind of downstream impact on you because of the because of the delay? I think we would be doing different things in the immediate, let's call it six months, if JWCC were in place now versus later. What it has done for us and what we can do now is it's created some space for us to really focus on hybrid capabilities and to really get the Oconus cloud environment ready so that when the spigot of JWCC turns on, we actually have a number of enablers in place so that we can take advantage of what JWCC is delivering even quicker than if JWCC were going to be awarded tomorrow, for instance. All right. I know there's a lot more we could talk to you around that, but I know you also can only say so much. So uh, I appreciate you uh, uh, helping out. And Sharon, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Sharon Woods, the director of the Hosting and Compute Center for the Defense Information Systems Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sharon Woods, the director of the Hosting and Compute Center at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Let's back up also and talk about this hybrid approach. You mentioned a couple of the uh, enablers, automation enablers like Container as a Service, uh, um, Infrastructure as Code, and then there's also the hybrid approach. Let's go through some of those pilots, maybe start with Container as a Service, and, and we can work kind of forward from there. This one, honestly, is a bit of a bellwether for our entire premise and strategy. So containers as a service, I'm extremely excited about. And I'm really proud of the team because one of my mantras is that we need these micro successes where you're delivering minimum viable products from uh, ideation to the delivery of an initial prototype in six months or less. And that's not necessarily something that people are used to seeing within the federal government. But that's what the hack is going to be doing. And so containers as a service is an example where that is, in fact, what happened. The premise and why I say it's a bellwether for the hack strategy is that it's taking Kubernetes, um, OpenShift in particular, uh, container, but rather than deploying it in the cloud, it's deploying it in the traditional data centers. And that I am finding is 
sort of unexpected. We're getting a very, um, hey, I didn't even know you could do that kind of response, but they're servers and you can take the technology and make them run on those servers. The benefit, and in this case, we're doing web servers in a traditional data center environment, you would have to set up and then configure and patch the virtual machines on an each basis. So every time a mission partner comes in, you have to do it again. Hopefully there's no human error. When something needs to be patched, you've got to go through and patch everything. And it's not quick, it's not efficient, and it's not the best use of the technology when you're looking for that hardened uh, kind of security. By using a web server that's containerized, now we can take the container We can make sure that it's configured as well as it can be. We can have the different security parameters in place, have it be hardened. And that becomes the thing that you deploy that, right? Sort of that hub and spoke type model where it's consumed. And if if a mission partner has a presence in the cloud as well, you've created a situation where now the technologies are standard and they're able to communicate across each other from data center to commercial cloud. So we haven't even necessarily, right? The hack isn't uh, necessarily going to go in and manually or, or whatever it is, configure uh, the workloads, the applications for the mission partner, but we've given them a capability that gives them a really awesome jump start. So that started in November as an idea and we've already delivered a prototype and we're working right now to implement it with our first uh, uh, customer. Can you tell much about what that customer, who that customer is? Even if you can't be specific, say it's Army, Navy, Air Force, but is it a big one, a small one? Is it an office? How will they use the container as a service for what type of mission area? Sure. Well, we have a number of mission partners lined up, right? So, so this particular application is ATAPS, but just in general, the data centers, whether it's DFAS, it could be the, the Air Force, the Navy, there's a number of folks that consume those data center services. It is tricky because if an application has been built so bespoke, right, it, it's so old that even the web server part of it is so integrated with the data that you can't really pull that out and containerize it. It's just such a legacy application. It's not a candidate. Uh, but But there are definitely a lot of workloads that have a web site, right? And they could really benefit from this. And so maybe they're not so modern that they can operate in the cloud in their own right, but they are able to put that web server front on uh, front end in place with the container. And now they're modernizing their application, at least that component. The idea here is once you get one done, you can see how it works. You can see some of the challenges that came with it. And then you can say, okay, we have this, initial pilot. Now we can kind of start growing it and getting more folks in because I imagine that there's a lot of agencies within DOD, a lot of military services who aren't quite ready to jump into the cloud, but could you borrow this kind of approach on premise to, to really modernize applications more quickly, or at least get some updates going. Absolutely. And a web server is just, you know, one small thing that you can do with containers. I mean, you can do so much with containers. I think actually the challenge for the hack is going to be, hey, we have a hundred things we could containerize and get out there for mission partners, but which ones really matter? Which ones should be prioritized and not imagined, but actually talking to mission partners. And that's one of our big values. It's a a critical value of any kind of agile development is incorporating the user feedback 
um, not just anecdotally, but that they're continuously part of the process. And so as we've reorganized, one of the things that we are doing is making a more robust customer engagement function, if you will, so that we can intake, hey, if you could containerize something, if you have a presence in commercial cloud and you're really looking for some help to bridge the two of these options, which one would you know have the most impact for you and start seeing where we have some synergies? So for sure, there there is, I mean, infinite's probably too strong a word, but there are a lot of use cases that you could you could take with containerization. Was this difficult or has this been difficult to get folks' heads around this? Because we we talk so much in the federal sector about we've got to move to the cloud, you gotta to get to the cloud, you gotta move it off-prem. And and there's this big push. And then there's the opposite side, which is I will never go to the cloud. Why would I trust fill in the blank, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Oracle, whomever? What's the reaction been about what, as you've talked through this idea of container as a service? Yeah, that's a really good question because everyone always says it, but it is completely true. Culture can be one of the biggest barriers to going after something like this. And people have preconceived notions about which hosting and compute platform, right? Whether it's traditional data center or commercial cloud as two examples, you know, which one is the best? Uh, And that's where I think the hack comes in. The hack wants to be an honest broker with our mission partners and be in a position and educated so that we can say, this is what you get with data center. This is what you get with on-prem cloud. This is what you get with commercial cloud. We have modern mainframe. That's something that the banking industry continues to use. So we can say, hey, we actually have completely tech refreshed uh, mainframe capabilities. What are your requirements? And then go from there. So for the container as a service project, uh, there I don't want to call it resistance, but it it did, you know, when we first went to the, because it was actually the data center workforce that did this. So the project did not come out of, the commercial cloud component of the hack. It actually was run, the product owner comes out of the traditional data center uh, workforce. And what we did was take some of the commercial cloud um, experts that we have and have them consult and kind of infuse some of that knowledge. But it was a, let me transfer knowledge to you. It wasn't them running the, the product in the process. And so it wasn't resistance, but there was a, a level of trepidation because they've never done it before. Actually, no one's ever done it before within the federal government. Uh, and they didn't have the native expertise, but because the hack is all under one umbrella, like I said before, it creates this incredible opportunity to say, hey, I have this person over here and we can just have them go talk to you, right? I don't have to ask anybody else. We're actually all working together. Which really tags back to the beginning of our conversation around this creation of the hack and bringing everybody under one umbrella allows you to try this. And if it doesn't work, that's fine too. If it works, that's even better versus probably previously you'd have to go talk to those folks over there and talk to those folks over there and then bring everyone together. So I think that's why these pilots are, I I imagine able to happen. Yeah. And if I could on the pilots too, I always say never start something you're unwilling to kill. And, and that is so important if you're truly doing Agile. The technology moves quickly enough. And if you follow DevSecOps or you follow Agile methodologies, um, Agile in particular, right? Even if you're just sort of inspired by Agile as opposed to following some kind of strict Scrum methodology, for instance, 
it is small iterations. When you have micro successes on a six month basis, for instance, with containers as a service, if we get to the end of this, you know, kind of six months with our first user and we realize, you know what, either the way we've done it or what we've chosen to do doesn't make sense. I haven't invested two years and millions of dollars, which you see sometimes with other programs. So we're in a position to pivot and we haven't laden ourselves so down with time or money um, or just, you know, kind of workforce mental investment and all the effort. Uh, And that is critical. That is something that the hack is going to keep doing. And that's where as we have more and more user feedback, as we really are those honest brokers and we understand the needs something that we thought was a priority as we start going down the road, even the mission partner may realize that that wasn't actually their priority. It was something else. And we're just in a really good position because of the way that we are choosing to do program management to make those pivots. I remember writing, I don't know, maybe 2015, 2014 timeframe. I talked to the folks at GSA's 18F and uh, I think the headline was something like for GSA's 18F failure is always an option. And uh, I remember uh, the, uh, one of the guys who uh, I did the interview has come back to me years later saying that was the best headline you ever wrote for me because I could that got me so much kind of like ability to, to move out with these pilots and try it. And it's very similar, like same thing, you know, never start something you're unwilling to kill. So so I think it's the same concept as, you know, you, you got to be willing to, to try something. If it doesn't work, you got to move on quickly. Sharon, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back. We can continue our conversation. My guest today is Sharon Woods, the director of the Hosting and Compute Center for the Defense Information Systems Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sharon Woods, the director of the Hosting and Compute Center at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Infrastructure as code. Let's start there. That's, that's another pilot that you guys are going down. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit and, and what's that involved and what's it mean? Yeah, so infrastructure's code is actually a great, um, it's a good success story because that was something that we piloted. uh, And now we have two um, different three-year ATOs with conditions. I'm going to say that again, three years ATO with conditions uh, for for both uh, AWS and Azure. And we're in the process right now of working with Google and we'll continue to diversify the different baselines, right? So infrastructure's code It's a button, a little bit of an oversimplification, but truly within two hours, you can have in an automated pre-configured fashion, a cloud environment uh, with privileged identity and the kind of continuous monitoring security policies around it. And that alone, for instance, with the Army Corps of Engineers, and they were one of our first pilots, it took them 38 weeks and that's not unique to them. So don't think that there was some kind of issue with the Army Corps of Engineers. 38 weeks just to do the piece that we did in two hours. And not only did we do it in two hours, but it was automated. We could be validated. And so you start removing some of that human error component as well, which just improves security, it improves speed, it improves speed to mission and all these things. So so that's what infrastructure's code is, is these baselines. And so one of the, um, and we have well over a dozen customers. So, So when I said it was one of the success stories, what I meant by that is we took it from ideation to delivery in less than six months. We've had well over a dozen different um, customers consume it, both in a research capacity as well as production. And now we're converting it from that pilot mode into an enterprise capability that we're going to put in the hack catalog and start actually delivering that as an enterprise 
offering. But one of the things I always like to highlight about this one, and it really goes to show speed to mission, um, is when Operation Allied Refuge happened, when we were um, withdrawing from Afghanistan, the Air Mobility Command and Transcom, you know, they have over 300 aircraft and they were going there to pick up, you know, refugees and and cargo. And um, they didn't have a capability to real time be able to track all the aircraft, right? Almost if you think about it, like when you're on a plane and you go on the app or whatever, and you can see your plane and where it is in the process, they needed that for their 300 plus um, aircraft. Now they had something in the works where they were starting to pilot it, but where infrastructure's code came in was, okay, you're in this dev environment. We need to put you in a production environment and implement this now. And they, they did that in 72 hours. And so like, no kidding, infrastructure's code was used. Uh, it's called Blue Heron was the, the name of the project. And it helped save lives, you know, and that's not an overstatement. And that's, that's how profound these accelerators and enablers of technology, maybe they sound like, oh, IT, you know, it's boring, but no, in the Department of Defense, I mean, I can promise you it, it saves people's lives. It, it improves the mission. It lets us be successful. That's a great story. It's it's one of those success stories you can't tell often enough because I think people have to be reminded about why why IT matters and why you do IT, not because it's cool or because it's fun to to you know play with shiny objects, but really to impact the mission. And, and that's a, that's a, just a very great example. Let me just take a half a step back though. Infrastructure is a code. So what basically is happening is if I need to come to you and say, hey, I need to launch this application this infrastructure set up for me to do that already and I can just focus on launching the application without okay you're shaking your head so walk me through yeah no no that's exactly right it takes what I call the rinse and repeat piece out of it right everybody regardless of their specific application they have to set up a cloud environment they have to roll on the security policies they have to make sure identity is squared away and everyone has to do that regardless of their unique mission set, right? I mean, I, and so infrastructure is code that rinse and repeat, I have to do this. Why force mission owners to have to solve for that over and over again? So we just put the baselines in a repository and then mission owners can make a choice to pull them down. And as we make updates, we're making updates to the repository and then they can update accordingly. And so it is just a fundamentally different, it's a community-based model, right? It's almost like an open source-based model uh, where you're taking these pre-configured, automated, all pre-done environments. And then based on all that mission partner feedback, we may make adjustments, make improvements, they can consume it, right? It is just the fundamental open open source community mindset. I, th- I think that's helpful because you know, I'm thinking infrastructure's code is is, you know, you have a different picture of your mind. So, but it, it's, right. it's gives you that, that, starting point to build off of. And I think that's, that's what's key here. The other one you mentioned, and, and you didn't go into a lot of details, so you have to maybe walk us back a little bit is when you talked about JWCC, you said, or Stratus. Uh, I think this is a new hybrid cloud offering that the, the hack is starting to roll out or is rolling out. Maybe start us a little bit of background. What is Stratus and where you're going with it? Sure. So it is a hybrid cloud offering. So we actually took a strategic pivot uh, recently. We had what was called mill cloud. There was a 1.0 and a 2.0. And so we took a strategic pivot to um, actually deprecate sunset both capabilities. Uh, we took some of the underlying infrastructure and basically you know, kind of consumed that from, from mill cloud one. Uh, but really have put on so many additional capabilities at this point uh, that it is Stratus, right? It's its own offering in its entirety. And 
I mean, the idea with any kind of on-prem cloud capability is that you want it to mirror commercial cloud as much as you can. You want it to be elastic. You want it to be automated. You want it to be self-service and, and self-provisioning. I think the self-service component and that control for mission owners so that they can go in there and very quickly spin something up and spin something down. Everyone associates that with commercial cloud. So the idea with an on-prem cloud is to replicate those characteristics as much as you possibly can, except that the servers are in the data centers, right? They're in our data centers, but some applications, they're just not ready to operate in commercial cloud. And so Stratus is this nice in-between step where they can get themselves, you know, get their applications and workloads more virtualized and operating in a way that can actually consume and use that technology where it's not so tied to the hardware which often is what happens now, that this application only works if you have this very specific piece of hardware. And that's not how things work in the cloud, which is why with Stratus, as they're modernizing or replacing their application, if they do need specific hardware, that's one of the things that Stratus can offer. Another area where I think mission owners get jammed up, especially depending on their level of cloud maturity, is they'll have a ton of data and it is transactional data. And if you don't know how to configure that in the cloud, I mean, it will eat your lunch, right? You will wake up one day and and not understand why your price just increased tenfold and and then say cloud is terrible, right? Which is, that's not what happened. It's just, it's a configuration and how you're using it. And everyone knows you have those egress costs. So a Stratus, it lets you say, okay, this is the dedicated hardware for you. You're gonna put your data here so that you know how much it costs, and then you will do your transactions accordingly. So there's a number of use cases where Stratus makes a lot of sense as mission owners get smarter and smarter and smarter about working in commercial cloud. One of the things when you talk about Stratus is you had MillCloud, you had MillCloud 2, MillCloud 2 was growing. The difference here is what? Like to me, it sounds very, there's a lot of similarities and and one is obviously vendor-based. You know, you had a partner from in the vendor community for MillCloud 1 and 2. Is this one being run only by DISA? Is that one of the big changes? Because there is a cost when you obviously bring in vendor support and, and vendor runs a vendor who runs the entire effort. That's a fair question. So, and General Skinner's talked about this. One of the things that he's done as part of coming on board was the strategic program assessments or analyses. I never remember if it's assessments or analyses, but the spa, the day at the spa. And that's where every program had to come in and essentially do a zero-based review. And MillCloud 2.0 also had to do that analysis. And so when all things are considered, what was being delivered, the price point, how many users there were, the determination was just that MillCloud 2.0 was not the best value offering to meet on-prem cloud environments. Now to the second part of your question though, so, so what is Stratus? You know, yes, it is a, an, a capability that is in the DISA data centers, in the hack data centers, and we're operating it. But first we have a blended workforce, right? So you can't go anywhere in the government and see only government workers, right? I mean, we already have contra- you know, contractors that are working with us in order to do those things. But beyond that, I would challenge you, there isn't really any mission partner that could consume a capability like Stratus on their own without the help of an integrator. And so, you know, we're focused on delivering a best value capability. It needs to make sense in terms of how the requirements are met. It needs to make sense in terms of the price. And if it doesn't, then it needs to be sunset. 
And Stratus is no exception. So we'll certainly be managing it and watching it closely. But I do think a hybrid cloud capability, it is a requirement that exists now and will for a while. And so we have to deliver something. And right now, Stratus is the capability that we think is best value. And how can DOD agencies, military services use it? Is it kind of an on kind of call up and say, hey, spin me up so many servers? Is it the mippering of money? Walk me through maybe how Stratus works from a high level. Sure. And this is where we're going to continue advancing it. So it already is operational. We already have production environments. It operates and has an, uh, an ATO at Unclass and Classified at the secret level. So yeah, there is an initial contact is made, right? Just just like any offering you would ever get, whether it's commercial as a, a citizen or, or in the government. But the intent, and it already exists, is for it to be as self-service as you want it to be. So I don't want you to have to wait for us to stand up a VM and get everything configured and finally deliver it to you. It really needs to be self-service so that if you want to do all that yourself, you can. Now, if you want to mipper money over, which is how you would pay for it, mippering the money since it is working capital fund. And for, for folks that know all of the working capital fund and all that lingo, you know what that means. But you could mipper over money, not just for the capability, but also, you know, we call it cloud plus, but we have the workforce that can help you do that too. So you're essentially outsourcing to the hack how to manage that entire environment for you based on your requirements and demand signal. So optionality is one of the things that we're pushing and really going after hard in the hack is we want best value capabilities, but there needs to be options. There isn't a one size fits all. And so that's why with self-service, it's great because you can, as a mission owner, do it all on your own, or you could consume the cloud plus offering and let us do it for you and, and everything in between. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Sharon, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Sharon Woods, the director of the Hosting and Compute Center for the Defense Information Systems Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Sharon Woods, the director of the Hosting and Compute Center at the Defense Information Systems Agency. One of the things uh, you mentioned, Cloud Plus, part of it, and one of the things that comes up many times when you talk about cloud is that consumption-based model. And, and the question always comes back to, have you figured that out yet? Because like your, your utility, everyone talks about, well, you plug the, your, your computer into your wall, you use so many kilowatts, you pay for it, or megabytes or megawatts or whatever the watts today is we're talking about. But with cloud, it's a little different because the way government funding works, you don't necessarily, you can't spend money you don't have. You have the whole Anti-Deficiency Act challenge. Have you figured out that consumption-based model? Right. So with the consumption-based model, it's not exactly like commercial cloud. Again, with on-prem cloud, you want to replicate those characteristics as, as much as you can, but it's, it's just not going to be 100%. It's not the identical technology. But with nippering the money, what you can do, especially because on-prem cloud, the costs are more predictable than what you experience in commercial cloud. And so you can project, okay, this is what it's going to cost. And so I'm going to nipper over that amount of money, but then what we're doing in Stratus is a, a pay-as-you-go, right? A utility-based type of billing. And so, you know, that all comes down to technology. And I will say this is an area where industry continues to advance of, of giving the government and, and, I mean, the marketplace capabilities of taking certain kinds of 
technologies so that you can actually meter and figure out what people are consuming in a more automated way. It's not that we couldn't do that before. It's just that you need speed and automation. So it is utility-based and pay-as-you-go. It's just that because of the Anti-Deficiency Act, you have to send that money up front. And then you're only charged, though, for what you actually spend. And you can track it. And again, because there's more predictability with something like Stratus with hybrid cloud than commercial cloud, it's not perfect, but but it is easier to manage with the increased predictability than you would have with commercial cloud. Let me also tag back to mill cloud piece for a second. One of the big concerns that I've heard is, okay, I'm agency X and DOD or I'm a military service and I have applications on mill cloud two or mill cloud one. How do I move them off to Stratus or somewhere else? Are you involved in that? Is just a helping that with that transition? Because I think Mill Cloud 2 and 1 goes away in June timeframe, which is not that far away. Right. So everyone has to be out of the environment by May 20th. So we had to walk it back a little bit, uh, a little bit, which makes it, of course, even more aggressive from when the contract expires. But yes, we are involved with every single mission partner that is in the Mill Cloud 2 environment. Uh, to help them get to whatever target environment they want to get to. So this is, uh, again, all about being an honest broker. We did not push them to go in any particular place. I'd love to see them go to Stratus, but some folks were ready to go to commercial cloud. And we absolutely had a number of mission partners go to commercial cloud, or they are going to commercial cloud uh, instead of Stratus. Uh, which congratulations, right? I mean, that's a journey that a lot of folks have been fighting for for a long time, but that still requires some help on our side to make sure that they can move their data, that they can get the application out there. So really anything and everything that mission partners need to get out of the environment. I mean, we are there a phone call away uh, and we're trying to be really aggressive about making sure we're affirmatively providing the support and not just hanging back and waiting to see if there's a problem. And I'm not sure this actually falls in your lane or not, so you'll forgive me if this is maybe a question for above your quote-unquote pay grade, but if an agency can't get off Mill Cloud 2, if they don't have a place to go, if if they're kind of stuck, I mean, what do they do? Because I, I've heard that, again, it's it's not as easy as just to, you're not lifting and shifting, right? There's It's always more complex and complicated. What is happening with, okay, you got to be off in, in six weeks. I can't move in six weeks. What do I do? Has that discussion happened? Everyone has thought about the possibility for sure. I would just say from a hack perspective, uh, we are doing everything everything we can so that that's not even a possibility. Um, it's always going to be a possibility, but we are tracking, I mean, every mission partner practically down to the hour. Uh, so if something were to come up, things come up, we'll have to figure out how to deal with it. But from my perspective, from a hack perspective, at my pay grade, I got to get it done. <laughs> and so that's where I'm at. All right. I know it's not an easy thing whenever someone decides to end and then begin again and the like, it's, it's, it becomes a lot more complexity than, than maybe people realize or, or, or first thought of. The other piece of this, and you kind of went over it a little bit, but let me maybe back up a little bit, which is recent Defense Department CIO memos around continuous ATO software modernization. These are big wins. I've heard that both from folks inside the DoD and, and across uh, the industry. How are you starting to, or how, how have you been taking advantage of that? You mentioned the ATO for infrastructure as code as an example. Are you applying this continuous ATO process other places? And, and where does the software modernization fit in? Again, realizing, for instance, containers and service is part of that. The continuous uh, ATO is a huge deal. And I think there's two pieces to that, though. There's the policy, and then there's the technology. 
So I'll give you an example with infrastructure as code. At any second, I can go see which STIGs are in compliance in an application that has deployed infrastructure as code. I mean, a dashboard with red, yellow, green, and exactly what's going on. And I can see how many out of all the STIGs are, right? So that's continuous monitoring. Now, in order to prove to the authorizing official that I am compliant with all the STIGs, am I going to be forced to take screenshots of each of these things and send them in with my package? Or is there going to be some way from a technology perspective that they can hook into it and actually see, you know, using open APIs, for instance, that at any given time, this is where I am on compliance. And oh, by the way, the technology can set up alerts and notifications. And so there's even more rigor and an even more disciplined way of seeing whether or not an application is secure. So I think having the policy in place is key because you, you can't even really start going after the technology. Um, it's a waste if, if you don't have the policy in place. But I think now that the floodgates are open, you know, everything is free game. It's, it's a matter of working together to figure out how you don't compromise security and your desire to move quickly. But the continuous ATO part we have to do this or all of this technology that we're developing that's automated and self-service and using DevSecOps and using the cloud, we're just going to constantly stop ourselves cold because we're following a process that was developed when this kind of technology wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. So something like Stratus, are you using this approach to continuous ATO to Stratus or is it the applications that ride on Stratus would then have that continuous ATO? Where does it all fit together? ATOs have to happen for both. And it, it depends on who's responsible for them. So for the environment itself, I'm responsible for having the ATO in place. And right now it is the kind of more standard process. I put together the package, I send it over and I get an ATO for a certain amount of time. For folks' applications, I suspect they're also in the same boat right now since the policy is kind of fresh, right? So uh, I think they're also having to, to do a similar thing. But what it does for their application is start opening up the doors uh, to see if there's a way of now using the technology to achieve not just the policy, but the actual implementation of continuously monitoring. The same can be said of the Stratus environment, and that is something with the policy we will be moving out on aggressively. And, And even separate from that, we have to be continuously monitoring our environment for security. So we're always going to be motivated to do that. The question is, is whether or not we get credit um, for the authorizing officials. And, and I think we'll be fighting for that pretty hard, but it won't just be us. It'll be the whole community. So, you know, fingers crossed. Sharon, I very much appreciate our time. I know, uh, we, you know, we could probably talk even longer because there's so much going on around the Hosting and Compute Center, but we will save that for another time. So let me thank my guest. Sharon Woods is the director of the Hosting and Compute Center of the Defense Information Systems Agency. Sharon, it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Jason, and I look forward to future engagements. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.